Hi babes, welcome to the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. Each week, I'll be answering your questions on codependency, people-pleasing, and relationships submitted to me via Instagram. So if you haven't already, hop over and follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood to submit your questions in my stories every Monday. You can also click the link in the show notes to take you straight there. Okay, let's get started. Our first question today is from Stephanie, and she says, I recently started a new job and feel super overwhelmed by all the new processes, lingo and projects, but also feel like co-workers are being impatient and snappy when I ask for clarity or don't do things quite in the right way. I feel like it's super hard for people pleasers to realize they're not pleasing the people. Any advice? Chronic people pleaser here. So thank you so much for this question, Stephanie. It's actually great to get a question about codependency at work. You may have heard me say that you're not codependent with your boyfriend or your mom or your job. You're codependent and you happen to have a boyfriend or a mom or a job. If you're codependent, you're codependent everywhere, even if you don't realize it. There are definitely areas it will show up more obviously and in bigger ways for you. But when you really start to understand and explore it, you'll find that it's everywhere. So it's great to talk about codependency in the context of work because so many of us actually experience this, but perhaps think that codependency is all about romantic relationships. So again, thank you for asking this question. And here is my A to your Q. As codependent people are hypervigilant and tend to be anywhere on the scale from quite anxious to highly anxious and often diagnosed with and medicated for anxiety, it's hard to know without having an in-depth conversation with you how much your co-workers are actually annoyed at you or how much of it is your anxious perception and fear-based thoughts. It's quite possible that just because the people around you at work aren't also super gushy people pleasers heaping praise and validation on you for the smallest tasks, that you are perceiving their otherwise quite neutral, normal behavior as being snappy or annoyed with you. And I only want to bring clarity to an alternative potential perspective here and not gaslight you out of your experiences. The truth is many workplaces are toxic. There are whole industries that operate on high speed, high productivity, high pressure, low interest in the welfare of their workers and high levels of competition between staff. This can be particularly tough if you do work in a fast paced, high pressure, low welfare industry, because it's a question of weighing up if this type of workplace really does suit you as a person, if it's really worth risking your mental health for, or if you could sidestep into a working environment which may not be what you ideally had in mind, but will give you much more balance and fulfillment. Remembering that codependent people value themselves for what they can do rather than who they fundamentally are. So status and success can actually be very important to codependent people, despite that feeling quite paradoxical to the nature and presentation of being a chronic people pleaser. I am actually a prime example of this. From being a teenager, I wanted to be a fashion designer. That's all I thought I wanted to do while I was sitting in my coal mining hometown in the Midlands in England. I had big dreams and I felt like a big fish in a small pond. That'll be the codependent superiority, inferiority complex. Hi. (laughs) But it turns out that when I started my fashion design education in London, I absolutely 100% was not cut out for that life and that industry. 
from delusions of grandeur and being a big fish in a small pond to being a total fish out of water. So then I sidestepped into textile design, which definitely had its own challenges, but it was slower paced and much less cutthroat. Of course, I eventually left the design world altogether when I found my true calling in helping people as a coach, being self-employed and working from home, surrounded by dogs and snacks, much more my speed. And I'm certain that I've had more success and fulfillment from choosing an entirely different career path and letting go of the feelings that I had of being a failure for not making it as a creative. When as much as I did enjoy many aspects of being a designer, there was enough about the industry which was just not a match for me as a person, as a human being. So I made the decision to leave and just be happier. So that tangent aside, back to your question, there is inevitably going to be a settling in period in any job. It's going to take you a while to learn the processes, the language, the culture. And it's great that you're asking for help from your colleagues. And as I said, I can't tell whether it sounds like their responses are reasonable, uh, you know, without examples. But what I would suggest is arranging a meeting with your manager to discuss your concerns. Be direct and concise when you speak to them. Don't fluff up the language and over justify or apologize. You could say something like, I'm concerned that there's an expectation that I should be picking things up more quickly. Is that correct? And who is the best person or who are the best people to ask for support if I need clarification on the processes of my job? And are those people aware that they'll be supporting me in this bedding in period? I.e., are they your peers on your team and they did that for your predecessor? You know, that's the expectation. Or have they been explicitly told to help you? Without directly communicating and asking for support and clarification, it's hard to tell what's really going on here because we're only going on the basis of what your automatically anxious, people-pleasing mind is telling you. And that's always going to be some version of you're not good enough. If you don't already, I would also request and set up regular check-ins with your upline so that you can keep this line of communication open. That way you keep operating on facts and not fear-based projections. If things don't improve after you've clarified this stuff with your manager, it may well be that you are working somewhere that has, depending on how sensitive you are and how much it affects you, anything from a harsh and fast paced to a toxic environment. And when I say sensitive here, that is not a bad thing. Sensitivity is a beautiful gift. As a highly sensitive person myself, I know that when we honor and appropriately manage our sensitive natures, they can be a huge asset. But if you are a highly sensitive person, which is also common in codependent people, it may be that this working environment is just not suited to you. Work is, for many of us, where we spend the majority of our waking hours. Of course, it's not always going to be a dream, even if you love what you do, but it should absolutely not be something that negatively affects your mental health and makes you miserable. It is absolutely not a failure to leave something that does not serve you or is actively hurting you. In fact, it's actually a fantastic thing to do for yourself that may well be scary at the time, but you definitely will not regret it in the future. But before you think about making any big moves like putting your notice in, slow down, try to look at things logically, speak to your manager and get some clarity on what the expectations are so you can operate on facts instead of fear. And just a little reference note here. So in the answer to that last question, I mentioned the phrase 
highly sensitive person. And that is from the work of Dr. Elaine Aaron, who discovered and has researched and written extensively about highly sensitive people. So I will link to her work in the show notes so you can check that out. Okay, next up, we have a couple of questions around breakups from Amanda. She said, my boyfriend recently broke up with me because he couldn't meet my expectations, even though he agreed that they were reasonable expectations in a relationship. I haven't been single in a very long time, especially not during a lockdown. And I guess I'm trying to figure out how to deal with a breakup where the usual distractions, friends, etc., are not there. And the second question is, how can I stop the what could I have done or changed or should I have lower expectations thoughts that come with the breakup? Amanda, Amanda, Amanda. Okay, distractions are precisely that. When you distract yourself away from what you're experiencing emotionally, you're not healing. The pain might dull for a while or get less intense with time and distance, but it's not going anywhere. Codependent people are masters at this. In fact, it's kind of the whole point of codependency. We use anything, everything, anyone and everyone outside of ourselves, even positive seeming things like fun nights out, holidays, dating and hanging out with friends to distract ourselves away from the reality of what we're actually experiencing. When we do this, we're outsourcing our pain in the hope that fun distractions will somehow heal it. But here's a wild idea. How about sit with it? How about actually feel it? How about allow yourself the space and time to process the pain, the sadness, the loneliness, the anger, the grief, the confusion? I'm going to read you an excerpt from an essay called Learn to be Lonely by the incredible author Elizabeth Gilbert, who I'm sure many of you have already heard of well-known for her books, Eat, Pray, Love, Big Magic, among many others. She begins, I had an interesting conversation this week with a gorgeous, heartbroken 28-year-old woman who was doing my hair. I'd never met this girl before, but we started talking the way you do with perfect strangers about love and loss. Is there any other topic in a hair salon? She told me that she'd just left her boyfriend of four years because she'd finally had enough had finally gotten tired of not being treated as something precious. She said, I've got to get out there right now and get myself someone better. I found myself taking her hand, this woman I've never met before, and saying with the utmost urgency, but will you promise me first to spend at least six months alone? Will you work your way through this heartbreak before you go replacing anybody? Will you promise to commit to at least six celibate months before you throw yourself at another guy? Will you absolutely swear to it? She seemed puzzled, then worried. She said, but I get so bored and lonely by myself. Watching TV alone at night, I can't think of anything worse. I said, I can. I can think of a lot of things worse. Like, for instance, by this time next month, you're already in another relationship with another guy who doesn't treat you like somebody precious. And you put up with this shit just because you can't bear your own company. Then I told her my theory about how one of the most important things we need to learn in life is how to be lonely. We need to learn how to sit through the initial discomfort and panic of loneliness so we can get to the other side and realize that it didn't kill us. 
I met a woman in her 50s recently who told me that she won't leave her abusive husband because I never want to have to walk into a party or a restaurant alone. Friends, at some point, we all have to learn how to walk into a party or a restaurant alone. Otherwise, we will be willing to walk in with anybody or worse, walk out with anybody. We have to learn how to endure our own company and hold our heads high. And sometimes after enough time alone, we might even learn to enjoy ourselves. And best of all, after enough time and practice, we can sometimes even learn to revere ourselves. So I think about this essay a lot and I think about this theory a lot and I just love it so much because there's so much fear around loneliness. And every time somebody says to me, I'm lonely, I just want to say to them, and it sounds so glib and potentially minimizing, but I just want to say, so be lonely, learn to be lonely. It won't kill you. Just get through that feeling of being lonely because on the other side is where you find comfort and joy in your own company. And when you have that, it's something that no one can take away from you. So the link to the full essay is in the show notes. So you can go over there, you can read it, bookmark it and come back to it as you move through this breakup. So look, there are going to be moments when you will feel like you won't come out of the other side of this initial pain, but you will. I promise you, this is not it for you. You have a whole amazing life ahead of you. And it's in moments like this When your strength, your personality, your identity, your fortitude, your ability to do hard things is forged. I know that when we are codependent, our emotions can feel overwhelming, like they might wash us away. And I have a visual to share with you that might help you here. We think we are like a little tiny pebble on a beach. And when a wave of emotion comes rushing in, it washes us away but we are not tiny pebbles. We are big, badass boulders. The waves wash in. They might even crash up against us, but they wash over us. They don't carry us away. And that is how we need to understand our emotions and our ability to cope with and experience them. So it may seem like an incredibly difficult time to be going through a breakup, but I actually think it's kind of a perfect time for this to be happening. I also went through a breakup at the start of this year in the depths of winter here in the UK in full lockdown. Nothing to do except work and walk my dogs. So that's what I did. I got consistent. I did my work. I moved my body. I settled into my new home. I processed my emotions. So I'm not preaching from the mountaintop here, but from very recent experience. I can tell you that eight months on, I am stronger, more self-aware, more confident, more grounded, more content and fulfilled for having given myself that time and space, totally lacking in distractions. And I hope this also speaks to the second part of your question, where you ask what you could have done differently or whether you should have lowered your expectations. So for everyone who is listening to the podcast right now, can I please get your answer in chorus for whether Amanda should lower her expectations. It's a resounding no, Amanda. I'm going to bet that if you were putting up with someone who clearly and directly told you that they could not meet your reasonable needs, you had probably been putting up with less than you wanted or deserved for some time anyway. So what you're asking me is, could you have wanted and tried to be okay with less? Sure. But my question to you is, Is that how you want to live your life? 
in a constant state of one-way compromise with someone who is struggling to trip over the very low bar? Or would you rather spend your time discovering who you are, living your best, most fulfilled life, becoming grounded and emotionally connected and intelligent, building your level of self-worth, all the while willing to wait for a person to come along who truly matches you energetically, matches your values, and is ready to commit to you, meet your needs, and grow something incredible with you. I certainly know which one I would rather be doing. Our final question today comes from Beth, and she asks, can you heal codependency while in a long-term relationship? The answer, as always, with questions around codependency is short and simple with lots of caveats and nuance to follow. So yes, it is possible to recover from codependency while in a long, medium or short-term relationship. But I think the real question you're asking me is, is it possible to heal from codependency and stay in this relationship because regardless of whether it's healthy for me or the right one for me, I'm afraid to leave it or be single. So can I start doing recovery work and not jeopardize the safety of having this relationship? And this is where the nuance comes in. I don't know whether your relationship will survive you doing recovery work. If you have a partner who is relatively healthy and has a secure attachment style, and apart from your codependency, you otherwise have good communication and the connection is mutually respectful and they match your values and there is space allowed for both of you to flex and grow as human beings, then yes, you could potentially do recovery work and remain in the relationship. The likelihood, of course, that you have all these things going on in your relationship is slim as codependency in itself is a dysfunction. And so we don't tend to attract or allow in super healthy, grounded and balanced partners. However, even if you do have all of those things going on, recovering and healing from codependency will change you. It's a rediscovery of who you truly are you will become more confident, more boundaried, more self-assured, more familiar with what your values are, what works for you and what doesn't. This may well change the dynamic of the relationship. You may become less of a match for your current partner. It might be them who feels it, or it might be you, or it might be a mutual decision that actually this isn't what you, they signed up for. What you might also be asking me is, do you have to be single to start codependency recovery work? The short answer here is no. Many of my clients start working with me when they are in a relationship. Some of the work we do in recovery is helpful to do in relation to someone else, and some of it is easier to do when you're single. But the ideal time to start working on this stuff is now. The sooner you do it, the sooner you get to a better place, and the easier it is. Codependency is a learned behavior, and the more you repeat the patterns, the more stubborn they are to undo. So start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And one final thought that I want to share on this, even if you are unsure about your current relationship, unless you are in danger, which Beth, I don't think that is the case for you, but it could well be for other dear listeners, you do not need to make any decisions about your relationship right now. In fact, I would advise against it. Start your work, get on your recovery grind, and things will become clearer. If we leave a relationship before we are ready, the likelihood is that we will bounce back into it out of fear or loneliness. And if the relationship is dysfunctional, it will be even harder to extract ourselves from it the next time. It's like when a bone breaks and heals, it's always stronger where the break is. 
Okay, my loves, that is it for today's episode. Just before I go, I'd like to remind you that my codependency recovery community, Wildly Worthy, is open now. For less than £50 a month, you can get access to weekly Q&A coaching calls with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course, and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you. So that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialized non-binary people. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to, or follow the pod. It helps more people find us and join the movement to have healthier, more fulfilling relationships. Until next time. Oh, 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 oh,